Support for Recovery Talks, the podcast, and rockandrecovery.com provided by Ohio Means Jobs, Summit, and Medina Counties. Recognizing that looking for a job can be tough, especially if you're also navigating a path to recovery. Ohio Means Jobs, Summit, and Medina Counties offer career coaching, support services, and training for in-demand careers. For more information, summitmedinaomj.org. You know, for people struggling with co-occurring mental health and substance use disorder, physical safety and overall health risks are more significant. The impairment of life skills is greater, and the chances for successful treatment are oftentimes more difficult. All of this contributes to a greater sense of stigma. Man, this stigma is like orange barrels on highway construction. It's a restriction on the traffic lanes leading to a self-directed life and long-term recovery. Personally, I'd like to end it. Dual diagnosis is the topic, and that's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery, this is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. And my guest today is Matthew Reagan. So Matthew is uh, an acquaintance of mine and hopefully a friend in the future. Uh, And he works for a local institution in Summit County that is really, really well established in the mental health care area. Uh, We met, uh, I think it was probably almost over a year ago. When I had a meeting with your staff and we just did a little bit of an introduction, I think it was born out of an article that I had written in the now defunct, unfortunately, um, local community music and arts magazine called The Devil Strip. And I was doing a column at the time called Sober Chronicles. And it was, you know, really interesting for me to be introduced to your facility and all the things that you do, just the vibe around that table and all the the help that you provide to the community. Before we even begin, I just want to say thank you in advance for everything you're doing and for certainly for appearing here on this podcast today. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Matthew, you've got some letters after your name. And, you know, not being in the in the clinical field and just having achieved my, you know, my own personal certification of being a uh, uh, certified in the state of Ohio peer recovery supporter. You know, I'm really kind of interested about letters after people's name in the medical community because it is so very important and there's so much work to get done to get those. So after your name, you've got LPCC and LICDC. Tell our listeners what, what those letters stand for. Well, um, yeah, most of our clinicians within the dual diagnosis program have what we call dual licensure. So the LPCC is a state licensure for treating mental illness specifically. And then the LICDC, also a state licensure, is um, for the specific treatment of substance use disorders. So this is where the dual diagnosis comes in. And again, most of our clinicians that work in the dual diagnosis program have that dual licensure. So what is your, your role in the, in the healthcare process at Portage Path Behavioral Health? I mean, how, how do people come to you? I mean, how do you, how do you find people? How do they find you? What happens? Well, typically people are referred um, either by an outsource or, or by their, their self. Um, and they'll come into the facility, they do a diagnostic assessment, and then they get referred to the different programs that we have. So I'm basically a clinical counselor um, that operates within that dual diagnosis program. 
Um, I do individual counseling. Um, I also facilitate um, our groups. We have um, a couple of different programs. We have an outpatient program, um, and then we have um, an intensive outpatient program as well within that dual diagnosis programming. So I do individual counseling and then um, the group stuff. IOP is something I'm familiar with. That was part of my recovery process, and it was a game changer for me. It was really where I, I learned that you know maybe I wasn't a bad person. Maybe I had a, a, a medical disorder that needed to be uh, uh, addressed. And that was so significant for me, really was a paradigm shift for me in that process. So one of the things we're, we're doing in this season, season four of Recovery Talks, the podcast is we're, we're talking to people that are in and around the community of substance use disorder and mental health issues and really with the purpose of maybe shining the light on people that don't have an awareness of what's going on with us. You know, for all of us that work in the community, I think some of the terms, the nomenclature that we use are so familiar. And, and you know, it's it's kind of like when I go to a car mechanic and, you know, he's talking about things that I'm thinking, I don't know anything that you're talking about because that was never my gig. My gig was guitars. You want to talk about old Gibson guitars? I got you, buddy, right? I'm there. Right. But, but I, I really don't understand, you know, some of the terms. And we talked about... The concept of dual diagnosis. And I, I believe that in, in layman's terms, that's where we, we understand that people are suffering from maybe a substance use disorder along with a mental health issue. So what is that clinically? How, how is that described in, in your language for our listeners? Well, yeah, that's the definition of a dual diagnosis, right? We're going to have what we traditionally call mental illness, like a bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. And then um, what we now call substance use disorders. So within that, within that dual diagnosis program, our clients are going to have one of each at least. And, and one of the basic philosophies that I teach is that substance use disorder really is just another mental illness. And, and so one of the things that we work on is, is trying to integrate the treatment of the two because what you're going to find is that the treatment is similar with each of those illnesses. So that's the dual diagnosis program is designed to integrate the treatment of the mental illness and the substance use disorder. You know, I think one of the things that most people don't understand and they have to come to grips with when they're dealing with a family member is that you know they think that those of us that are in, you know, long, for me, thankfully, that are in long-term recovery from substance use disorder, they think that when we first self-describe as an alcoholic or an addict, a lot of times family members don't understand that that's not necessarily a weakness. It's not necessarily a character defect. It is, in fact, a medical condition. And that's the first hurdle that I often have. When I talk to people about when they're when they're talking about, well, my brother, my mother, my 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 son, you know, I, I I don't understand why he behaves this way. We we've done everything right. We've we've listened to him, we've believed him, and he just can't seem to change the way he behaves. And I know personally, I, I for a long time until I came into contact with a tough old bird named Patty from from an institution who taught me, Mr. Shannon, you know, you're not a bad person. You know, you've, you've got a medical issue that you've got to solve. And that is really the first hurdle. So 
I mean, is that a discussion you have to have often with people when you when you bring them to the awareness that we're talking about a mental health issue when we talk about substance use disorder? Is that really a first step for you often? Surprisingly, yes. You know, as a culture, we like to say that we see it as an illness. <laughs> right, right. But in general, that's not how we approach it. No, so no. not only with family members, but with the clients as well, that's often one of the first steps in getting them to engage in this process is really um, providing them an understanding of the idea that these are illnesses because of those, we call them stigma, are so prevalent that the clients believe them themselves. And that stigma and the underlying shame that goes along with it, I think is often one of the biggest hurdles in the recovery process. So that's one of our emphasis in in the treatment program is to really get them to understand that this is an illness. So that's a, a big part of the the process is developing their understanding that these are illnesses. And it, it, it's something that I reinforce over and over and over. I tell my clients, you're going to get tired of hearing me say this, right? You're sick. You're not bad. You're not stupid. You're not this. You're not weak. You have a sickness. Yeah. In, in our society, we, we have to talk when we so much about the stigma and really call it out. And once we begin that conversation, I think we can make some some headway. But oftentimes, you know, the analogy for me is, you know, you break your arm, people rush to sign your cast, right? But if your heart is hurting or your head is not working, right. Right, you know, people just don't look at it the same way. They think it's something you should have fixed. They, they think you should be able to handle it yourself. You know, buck up, you know, come on, uh, you know, go to the gym or, or you know, you know do, do something different, you know, come on, you know, and it makes about as much a sense as telling a person that suffers from any other disease, say cancer. Hey, go to the gym, dude. You know what I mean? You know, work out more. What's wrong with you? Just stop that cancer. You just don't understand that you just can't do that when it comes to mental health. Right. And, and, you know, after when we're, we're really doing this podcast, and I want to thank our listeners because we are doing this by phone because the podcast host did a software update <laughs> on his computer and, you know, and nothing was working. And, and Matthew, thank you so much for your patience. And I'm hoping somebody doesn't call Absolutely. in because we're doing this by phone. And I'm just hoping one of my kids doesn't call, you know, but if we do, we'll, we'll, we'll power through it and we'll get it done because this topic is just so important. And one of the things I've realized is that our, our, our listeners are very, very patient with us because they've had to listen to this podcast host learn his skills while we're doing it. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> the the issue of, of just calling out mental health awareness, I think has become, you know, maybe one of the possible silver linings that have come out of the pandemic because all of us were isolated and all of us have had to just take a stand and go, you know what? I'm, I'm not thinking okay. Things have really, really changed for me. And as, as you know, and as I know, being a part of the recovery community and watching people go through that process, there were really difficult times. But you know, there were also positives too. We all learned how to get on our computers and use, you know, programs like Zoom and stay connected. And, you know, I think more than anything, the concept of connection and being connected with other people who suffer from the same thing, that peer support, peer support is so important in the process. But I have a bunch of questions for you. So, you know, how and when can you determine, I mean, obviously it's probably a 
pretty in-depth process that we're not going to have time to discuss in this short 30-minute podcast. But how and when can you determine if, in fact, there is a dual diagnosis of mental health issues along with substance use disorder going on with one of your patients? I mean, how do you know? Typically, we'll get the um, assessment completed when they first come in. And through that assessment, we can determine if there's a specific diagnosis within that that dual diagnosis um, category. Now, very often, and, and I think this is common, um, clients are unwilling to share either their substance use or their mental illness. And that's one of the things that we see with the stigma is people that have mental health issues will look down on people that have substance use disorders and people that have substance use disorders look down on people that have mental illness. So sometimes there's a reluctance to share, you know, some of that information when they first come in, but typically we can draw that out. Our, our intake clinicians are very effective at drawing out the important information so we can clarify that, that diagnosis. So usually we can get that information when they first come in. So as a family member, as somebody that may be standing across the street from somebody that's suffering, substance use disorders are often, I mean, you can kind of tell when somebody's high. <laughs> you can't, right. right? But you can't always tell when somebody's not thinking right. You can't always tell. Sometimes you think maybe he's just a person that likes to be alone. Maybe they're just a person that, you know, isolation is the way they go. Maybe they're just a little kooky, right? Just a little crazy, right. you know, and, and you don't know. But I mean, what are, if you're a, if you were talking to a family member and you could say 101, all right, what are some of the signs that you could see of people that are suffering from the dual diagnosis of, you know, obviously substance use disorder, you can see those, but what are the, what are the dual diagnosis symptoms that you could say to a family member? Maybe this is going on. How do you know? Well, you know, with the, the mental illness, we're going to look for um, specific symptoms. So, you know, like depression, we're going to have a depressed mood, a blue mood. Probably one of the most significant symptoms is sleep disturbance. Um, I call that the universal psychiatric symptom. I don't care what your diagnosis is, you're probably going to have issues with sleep. So if I'm seeing a depressed mood, a blue mood, um, or maybe even like an agitated mood, um, that could be a sign of a, of a mood disturbance. We're going to look for sleep disturbance, appetite disturbance, energy level, that kind of stuff. Thoughts and feelings of worthlessness, right? If I'm always dogging myself or downing myself, that could be a sign of depression as well. You know, if I'm having um, severe mood fluctuations, if I go from, you know, a real high to a real low, um, that can be a sign of a, of a mood disturbance. Um, you know, the, the classic symptoms of schizophrenia would be hallucinations, hearing voices, seeing things. Um, with the anxiety disorders, it's going to be that. We call it a state of arousal, right? My mind is racing. My, I can't sit still. Um, my heart's beating real fast, that type of thing. So those are kind of the classic symptoms of the various diagnoses. So one of the things that I always recommend family members do is develop an understanding of the illnesses. And, and when I teach what I call the illness model, that's one of the things that we really focus on is what are the symptoms and learning how to identify those in the, the, the loved one that we're working with. Because again, I think that understanding is very powerful. The more I understand, the more I'm able to address what's going on. 
you know, I can I can absolutely share with you. I've already done for this season. As we know, we're we're concentrating on those people that are in, not necessarily in uh, recovery. That people may be around it that don't understand it. And one of the first things that I'm hearing from a lot of people that we've interviewed so far for this season is, I had to make a shift in my mind where I had to see my loved one as someone that was not just being disobedient. Not someone that was just, you know, they. I had to see them as someone that was having a problem, a medical problem. But, you know, we'll be right back. We're talking to Matthew Reagan, who is uh, talking to us today about dual diagnosis. We'll be right back. The internet can be challenging to navigate, especially when it comes to podcasts. It can be a cacophony of noise, choices, and information. Some of that information can be legitimate and trustworthy, and some of it can be questionable or even downright synthetic. Who or what can be trusted? And the sheer amount of platforms, where in the world do I go to listen and to absorb information? For the person in recovery, sometimes getting the right advice or help can be the difference between shivering in darkness and stepping out into the light. Recoverytalks.org is a repository, an easy to find place where past episodes of Recovery Talks the podcast can be found. All of Mark's in-depth conversations, all the way back to season one, can be found here. Recoverytalks.org. Simple. Easy. Help. Thanks, everybody. And you're back with Recovery Talks, the podcast. We're here with Matthew Reagan. He is a licensed clinical counselor, and we're talking about the dual diagnosis of mental health and substance use disorder. So, Talk to me about therapies, all right? So they're working with you. You're doing education for them. You're working with the family members. Everybody together is working with it. Today, what's on my mind a little bit is is a little bit about med therapy. Being in the recovery community, been sober now for over seven seven years, and I mean working on eight years. And I, I got to tell you, my life today. You know, if you, if you want to know what it's like to be in recovery, ladies and gentlemen out there, let me just give you a, a brief description of how Mark Lee Shannon feels today. You know, when I woke up this morning, I'm not afraid. You know, I'm not sick and tired of everything I've done. I don't wake up ashamed anymore. You know, I feel in a lot of ways that I'm maybe succeeding in life a little more than I was. I, you know, I woke up stable financially. I'm not a rich guy, but I, I certainly know that I can take care of things where I couldn't do that before when I was always afraid. You know, the thing about being in recovery that I feel too, is I feel like I'm a useful person. And more importantly than anything, for me in my recovery, long-term recovery, it's about being more kind to myself. And I like to just, I carry this around on a little card with myself when I go to talk to people in different areas in either like hospitals or treatment centers, when they want to know, hey, what's it feel like to be in long-term recovery with substance use disorder. And I think it's really important to be an example that, hey, people do recover. And it is possible because I think that for some of the family members that may be listening, they've been through so much, right? So much with their with their loved ones that it's hard to believe that people can ever get well. And one of the things that I think is, is really a little bit controversial that I see in certain areas is, you know, MAT, medically assisted therapy. You know, why is it so, gets so much bad press in some parts of the recovery community? I, I don't seem to understand. I mean, if you if you break your leg, you go get a crutch, right? I mean, there, there are things that you can do that can help people. I, I was just wondering, Matthew, what your thoughts on all that were? Well, yeah, the, the MATs are part of the, the comprehensive treatment 
program we have here at Portage Path. And really, they're a vital part of the process. You know, I think some of the the negative attitudes about the MATs come from maybe some of the older treatments that we've had. The, the newer treatments, including the Suboxone, Naltrexone, these are very, very effective treatments, um, especially for the opiate use disorders and the alcohol use disorders, and they have very little risk to them. Um, you know, we don't get the the long-term effects um, that we would see like with a methadone or um, a, a treatment of that nature. So I, I think as we educate the culture on these things, they'll have a greater understanding of their effectiveness and the reduced risk of using them. What I hear in your dialogue over and over again is education. And thank you for bringing that up because I think the more and more people know about what the facts are, you know, because there's so much, you know, information out there. And I mean, you can go down a dark hole if you start going on that inner dark web, you know what I mean? You, I mean, right. you think you can research and find somebody's opinion about things. And, you know, and I'm a 12-stepper and there's certain 12-step meetings you go to where if, you know, you're involved with MAT, you're, you know, that's not okay. That's not okay. And so, <laughs> you know, right. I think there's a lot of ways up the mountaintop. And I think that what I'd like to just make sure that we we make clear to our, our visitors who are listening here is that what works is what's good. What works is what's good. And you have to try different things. And sometimes one way is not the only way. And you have to try maybe some a few different approaches before you get it right. And that's so important for our listeners out there. Wouldn't you agree, Matthew? Yeah. The you know, the understanding of the illness I think provides not only family members but the clients with hope. Because that's one of the things that goes along with it. If I believe I have an illness and we've got a treatment that we know works, right? We have evidence-based practices, then the client might be a little bit more motivated to actually engage in that process, right? So that hope is really important. And I think with the family members, that's vital as well. And that understanding of the illness gives us that hope, right? Not only does it help us kind of manage that stigma, get past some of that shame. But it does give me this this idea, wait, there's something I can do about this. I, I can actually get better. So there, there's so much to that illness model. There's so much power in that understanding that, that that's vital. That's, you know, when I do my family group, that's one of the things we look at. The groups that I facilitate here, that's the focus. The clients get tired of hearing me say it, <laughs> right? This is an illness and, you know, you got to treat it as an illness, yeah. But, but, you know, thank you for saying it, because I think one of the things that people like, you know, certainly people like you and in a sm much smaller part, people like me who, who do peer supporting, you know, really it's that hope that there can be a change. Because I, will, I love to tell people, and I often do, you know, if you'd have told me eight years ago that I'd be hosting a podcast about recovery, I would have bet against you, man. Man, I would have bet against you because I just didn't see it happening. I had tried everything, everything. I had tried everything that I knew. And I and I I I was using the wrong pronouns, man. It was like I me, my, I me, my. And I until I turned it over 
to a you know a power that was greater than me and a lot of for me it was you know medical treatment that's what it was it was it was good providers that had education and sound evidence based you know practices to say mark you've got to go into a long term period of abstinence before we can really get to work on the underlying mental right. health issues and there's just no other way around it you're not going to be able to do one without the other and that changed the game for me man it changed the game for me and then once i had some long term recovery for me you know a peer support group you know whether it's 12 steps i don't care if it's a coffee shop meeting with a bunch of people a church group or what it doesn't matter what it is but being around other people that are just like you that are going through what you go through is a game changer game changer and finally for me what really keeps me going is the ability to be able to talk about it be some sort of evidence that say it can happen man it can happen you know it's not perfect you know life still shows up man it does you got to have a toolbox if you want to fix on your life right but it does it does still work you know so Let's talk a little bit about maybe if I'm a family member and I've got a person who I love dearly, I care about, and I've walked them through and they start to see some short-term results. And I know this is a really common, common issue. Short-term results, how do we sustain it? What can I do as a family member for long-term care for my loved one who may be suffering from the dual diagnosis of substance use disorder along with mental health issues? What's my role as a family member? How do I do it? Well, I think one of the most important things is that support. Um, and again, coming from that understanding, not judging, you know, allowing them to go through the the bumps in the road, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's difficult for a family member because they're they're used to those those negative behaviors. And that's, you know, one of the issues that family members run into is they're trying to figure this illness out and they're they're using behaviors that are symptoms of the illness that really don't make logical sense. So this is where a lot of this stigma comes in, a lot of the the judgment and the misunderstanding. So I think first and foremost, again, having the family member understand to the best of their ability what that client is experiencing so they can provide that support um, because really it's up to the client to engage in the process. So that support, being there for them, not being judgmental, I think is is vital for the client. One thing I can tell you that I that I I really appreciate with you is is that you know your caring concern and your your deep commitment to the education of this process. Because Matthew, I got to tell you, that's really the biggest tool we have in our tool bag is making people aware that number one, you're not a bad person. You, you have a problem, you have a medical issue and, and you right. know, maybe it's a mental health issue. And I, I liked what you said earlier on that it's all really just another way of looking at it as a, as a mental health issue. You know, I, I can't thank you enough for being, you know, on this podcast and, and uh, you know, and thank you for adapting to go into a quick phone call. Hey man, we adapted and we made it work, you know, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Matthew, you could tell people how they can get a hold of Portage Path Behavioral Health right now on this podcast so that they can reach out if they need to. Well, they can actually email me directly. I can give you my email address, M-R-A-G-O-N at portagepath.org. Yeah, one of my passions is kind of engaging the the community, especially, right? Because I think the more we get the community to understand, the more they're going to be 
you know, willing to put the time and effort and the resources into treatment. And the reality is treatment works. It's very effective if I can get the, the, the person engaged, the client engaged. And for our listeners, we'll make sure that that email address is listed in the podcast description so you can also reach Matthew about this. But, you know, I just want to say thank you once again for taking the time to do this and for your enormous patience with me as I plotted my way through my technical difficulties. Uh, Note to self, do not download brand new software on your Mac (laughs) without pre-testing, you know, what it could be, how it could affect your, 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 your recording equipment. But, you know, for our listeners, you know, I just want to say if you like this podcast, you know, you can find more podcasts like this at recoverytalks.org. And if you do, please subscribe and download, like and share and follow and head over to the Rock and Recovery pages also. You know, and overall, please stay tuned for the next episode featuring those on the front lines like Matthew that are really delivering quality care and caring concern to those in the community that really are in deep need of help from, in this case, dual diagnosis of substance use disorder and mental health issues. And until next time, everybody, please, please stay connected, stay standing, and steady on.